0: Good morning again. If you would please turn in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11. I'll be reading Hebrews chapter 11, verses 30 through 38. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, And David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection. mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant word, to our hearts, our lives, our faith, our perseverance, to the glory of His name. Amen. Father, help us see, help us receive all that is in this passage. Help me teach well, stick to what is written. We're a desperate people who at times feel like we are hiding in caves and where our prayers are nothing but tears. Oh, we have seen you work in our own lives. And as we've already prayed this morning. That those of us. Whom you have brought to yourself. Can look at this passage and say. I'm one of them. I've come to faith. In Jesus. Continue to work amongst us. And within us by your Holy Spirit. Amen. Biblical exposition. Go into the text, finding what's there in its context, and then saying it and re-saying it. Say it this way, doing that in this, in preaching, in the local church, biblical expository preaching is crucial for the local church. So that the whole counsel of God over time is made clear. So that there's an accurate view of Scripture An accurate view of Christianity, of the gospel, or you can boil it down to a part of that. Uh, An accurate view of what faith is, like we have been seeing week after week after week after week now in chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews. And this morning, this passage brings more clarity to what faith is and really importantly, to what faith is not. What I mean is this. In my early to mid-twenties, when I first became a Christian, all of my teachers were of a particular theological structure called the word of faith. Health, wealth, prosperity, gospel. Almost all the messages were filtered through the grid of faith. It's it's a power that's out there that you could tap into. Almost like electricity that you can't see, but you need to tap into it to have the electricity Turn all your electronics on. And so much of the Christianity or the message was, do you have enough faith? Because if you do, you won't be sick. You won't die. You won't be poor or struggling. Your, Your bank account will be cause faith, that power is what brings it about. And therefore in a sense, God is in that view of Christianity is stand backish because God's already decided. He wants everyone. To get out of wheelchairs and off deathbeds and cancers to disappear. He wants no one to ever be killed by a drunk driver. But God has left all of that into your self-determining power of positive thoughts. Confession of your mouth which they would call faith. But when you read the Bible, and you read the Bible in its context as a whole over time, that dangerously defective view cannot stand the test of Scripture. And it's texts like ours this morning that we've come to, that in my own life began to pull back the facade of such dangerously false doctrines like the word of faith. Now, let's go to the passage. And having said that, you must be honest with the text. Always, And so first, what we see is this truth. It is absolutely biblical and true that God acts in our temporal, earthly lives to bring many blessings through our faith. Let's read it. Start with verse 30 again to 35. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel, and the prophets who, through faith, conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. So as we have seen in what he just left off, where we left off last week, God parted the Red Sea. They go over the Jordan, there's the enemy, in the city of Jericho, and he causes the walls to fall down through Israel's obedience to walk around it seven times. And that was their faith. The lion's mouths were were shut by God because of Daniel's faith. There was the quenching of the fire by the faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they were thrown into the furnace. And then there was the resurrection of the widow's son of Zarephath, or the widow's son, the Shunammite woman, Elijah, and then Elisha. Okay, now what he's just given us here, those there, those are all miracles. Miracles. Meaning God broke into the normal course of things and He changes them. And in every case here, the people were helped practically in this life. And then mixed with God's intervention miraculously, Through miracles are the non-supernatural experiences that come from God through faith. Like a car just missing you. Or like a check showing up in the mail, unexpected, out of the blue, at just the right time. Or Rahab, Having heard of Israel and, and Yahweh, she cared for the spies who came into the city of Jericho. And so God, providentially, had Israel spare her life. David, by faith, went to war, and conquered kingdoms, enforced justice. People like Elijah escaped The sword of Jezebel. Gideon, out of weakness, was made strong and mighty in war, in battle with a few. Others put foreign armies to flight. All of these are God's caring providence. Brought about through the faith of his people. God was behind the scenes, bringing deliverance through their faith. That's the point. That's the point of the phrase throughout, by faith. Absolutely true. He's done many of these things in your own lives. But when people say that, no, 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 your life, Christian, Christian. Your your sickness or health, your wealth or your poverty, they are all in your sovereign control. Through the control of, of your tapping into the impersonal power of faith. By the control of the words that you speak or refuse to speak, when they say that, that's pagan religion. That's not biblical Christianity. Faith, the faith he's talking about is faith in a personal being, the only true God who created heaven and earth. It is faith in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and faith in what God has said, what he has promised, what he commands. It is faith in his ultimate care for us, his people. That's What faith is. And we see the results of it. In what we just read. At times. In our lives. And now the shift. Notice it. In the middle of verse 35. By faith. People of faith. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. By faith, others suffered mocking and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. The scripture here cannot be more clear. Sometimes, because of faith, walking in faith, by faith, God sustains His people through suffering. At times, horrendous suffering. The miseries that God's people experience right there in verses 35 to 38 are by faith. They are not by or because of unbelief notice in the context at the list it begins in verse 33 who through faith conquered kingdoms enforced justice obtained promises and stopped the mouths of lions and on and on and then without a break he continues into all the sufferings by faith some were tortured Refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and chains and imprisonment. How come? Because of faith by faith. And then we'll come back there again, but verse 39, we'll see that next week, but he confirms just that. Verse 39 looks back at verses 35 to 38 and says, And all of these. Though commended through their faith, they did not receive what was promised. In other words, the sufferings, imprisonment, torture of God's people, they are not because of disapproval. But they were commended, the text says, by faith. God praised their faith and they suffered. Look at verse 35 again. Some were tortured by faith. God chooses not to restrain the hand of the torturers of his people sometimes. He could, but he doesn't always. Those who would say, well, he doesn't because God has... No control over over what human beings will to do, like torture. And therefore, God cannot stop the torturers. People who say that just don't read the Bible clearly and carefully. They don't read the immediate context here. In the context, God stopped the mouths of lions. He preserved those three men in a fiery furnace. He raised those two boys of those widows. And by faith, others were allowed to be tortured. Or do you remember Abimelech with Abraham's wife? Abraham, again, had a lie. She's not my wife. Afraid he's going to be killed because she's so gorgeous and he's going to take her. Well, God said to Abimelech, Yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. God has absolute control over human willing. Just like he had absolute control over all the sinful willing of the Sanhedrin Those men railroading Jesus that night. And over Pilate in his cowardice and Herod in his mocking. And that's why Luke tells us clearly two. Distinct times in the book of Acts. All of that human willing to sin and put Jesus to death was God's predetermined plan and foreknowledge before the world began. It unfolded. And so, if God is in absolute control, then He could stop the hand of torturers. And He often has. And God could have stopped the hands of communist tortures in Romania that Richard Vrumbrand experienced back in the 50s, but he doesn't always restrain it. The history of the church is filled with examples of God not always preventing Horrific suffering and even torture. If you've never read it, just read Fox's Book of Martyrs. Over the first 14 centuries, he recounts brothers and sisters, real cases of martyrdom. He wrote it in the 1500s. Or just glance down and notice verse 37 they were stoned. They were sawn in two. <laughs> I mean, that's almost too horrible to even read. Tradition, tradition says, you know, origin and Justin Martyr in the second century, origin to beginning of the third. says that that's how Isaiah died, but maybe. God could have stopped that I mean, that was the whole point of stopping the mouths of lions into causing a horrific furnace not to burn up those three young men. He does deliver his people from such horrific things, but he does not always do so. So you remember Jesus after his resurrection, before his ascension, sitting on the beach with Peter at the Sea of Galilee, the Lord knew, God knew that He would save Peter from the jaws of death many times over the coming years. And then Jesus told Peter that when he's old, by what kind of horrific death at the hands of men that he would experience. And I, the Lord Jesus, will not save you from that experience. Verse 34 of this passage says, by faith, many escaped the edge of the sword. And then in verse 37, it says, by faith, others were killed with the sword. We see a real-life illustration of that in the New Testament. In the book of Acts, chapter 12, the first three verses read, About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. He killed one of the twelve apostles. Within five years of the resurrection, he killed James, the son of Zebedee, with the sword. And when he saw, as Herod saw, that killing James pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also and arrested him and threw him in the jail to be executed the next day. But you know the story. God did a miracle. He sent an angel. He chose to miraculously intervene and save Peter. But not James from the death of Herod's sword. And the text tells us, if you just apply it to that, one of those Christians Died by faith. The other escaped by faith. Here's a lesson. Do not let outward circumstances, tragedy that comes... Disease, sickness, financial crisis. Do not let outward circumstances be the measure by which you judge whether you or someone else is walking by faith. The biblical doctrine that comes out of this passage is that God is the ultimate determining factor in whether you suffer or escape. Not your faith or your positive confession. And I hope because it is meant biblically here and throughout the scripture That reality is meant to bring comfort to God's people because there's great hope in in knowing that there are meanings far beyond what we can fathom when it comes to painful experiences in this life. The reason for your trials, the reason for suffering is not because your faith is not strong enough. It's huge. You know, my sister and I have been hanging out with people from that theological camp that we were around in the 80s and loved the people. And some of you know the story, but just tell it again. I mean, someone that we love just turned 80. And in the last year or year and a half, she had a stroke. And then she stopped leading her prayer group because she thought she wasn't worthy enough. Because the stroke meant her faith was weak. I remember back in the 80s in my local church, there was a middle-aged woman with a husband and two girls still being raised. And she got cancer. And I watched the elders of that church have prayer meeting after prayer meeting in the homes and Bible reading to strengthen everyone's faith because her living and not dying was in our hands. And she died. And when people think that's at the core of what Christianity is, their life, their mind, their thinking, their, their, if what is real faith gets really messed up. Through wealth or poverty, through sickness, disease, unto death or health, through freedom or imprisonment, through living to older age or dying young, ultimately it is all in our loving Savior's hand. Think about what this teaches us about faith, walking by faith. Biblical, saving faith is of such a nature that it can be the means of escaping pain and suffering and living longer. Or it can be the means of dying and dying well. Why? Because of what we've been seeing for weeks on end in chapter 11 of Hebrews. This is how he has constantly been defining what is it to come to faith, to walk in faith, and to live by faith in Christ. It is at its core trusting him, a relationship, a person, and clinging to God. Clinging to what he has written, promises, and commands that have all been purchased by our Lord Jesus Christ. That's walking by faith. Now look at how the writer puts that thing again. This way in verse 35. Women received back their dead by resurrection, Elijah and Elisha. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release. I mean, I just have to deny Christ, I just have to deny Yahweh. I just have to deny his proper mode of worship. To be released? I'm not going to do it. Refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. A martyr's reward. Why, why does faith do that? It's because faith believes that God himself is better than all of life. Better than all that life can give now. Better than children spouses and houses and money and better than what death can take away from you later. For me to live as Christ Paul says and to die as gain. He didn't mean it's just easy or flippant or I have no attachment here. This is the whole point. We have deep Deep attachments, and most of them we're supposed to have, not diminish them. But because we're so attached, now that's the measuring rod of your love and attachment to Christ. Faith means that in the experience of dying or in the experience of being tortured, it believes the gospel believes the promise of the resurrection. In other words, what biblical saving faith is, it is that which God puts in us, it is drawn to all that God is for us and will be for us, far beyond every one of our graves. Listen to how the Apostle Peter summarized this Gospel in 1 Peter 1. We have been born again. God did a miracle by the Spirit coming in. Brought us to faith. We are alive to Christ. We've been born again to a living hope in, here it goes, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, waiting for you, kept in heaven for you. Faith sees the reality that God is totally in a different category than everything else in existence. He is the treasure of true, pure, unending, undefiled happiness. One more thing to notice. Verses 37 and 38. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, that's prophets' clothing, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains, And in dens and caves of the earth. Prophets in hiding. He said the world was not worthy of them. Of who? Of these destitute, afflicted unseemly obscure bottom of the barrel seemingly cursed people. The world wasn't worthy to even have them. What does that mean? I think it means something like this. That there are people whom God has called to saving faith. And that faith many times leads them to forsake a lot of stuff in this world. Many times leads them to losing their life in order to gain eternal life. And that process in those people points to the true treasure of who God in Christ is, and what they're really living for. And because those people exist, it means they're a gift. They're a sign to a lost and to a dying world, and the world doesn't deserve them. The world was not worthy of them. That's what I think he's driving at. And to, to, to see that, just you, let's use, we know one good example of that, and that's the Apostle Paul. Remember Paul's words from 1 Corinthians chapter 4, starting there in verse 9. Paul writes, I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we work, because as we go on a missions trip, we're not going to require them to pay us at all. We work, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still the scum of the world, the trash heap of all things. God is bringing grace to the world as His people not only carry the words which are crucially important, not just your life, but carry the words of the gospel, but also carry with them the demonstration of that gospel as those who treasure Christ more than all the world, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Let me close with the missionary John G. Patton who left his native Scotland in order to go to the New Hebrides Islands back in the 1800s where they're cannibals. He responded to an elderly friend of his who kept trying to persuade him not to go because his friend kept telling him The cannibals, you're going to get eaten by cannibals. And Patton replied to him this way. Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now. And your own prospect is to be soon laid in the grave there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I am eaten by cannibals or worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will arise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. End quote. Biblical faith creates people of whom the world is not worthy. We, Sovereign Grace, are called to keep walking this path of faith. Let's pray. Father, it is to our ultimate good, to our joy and to our pleasure